to hear you speak to us. Father, your word is life. Father, your word is hope. Father, your word is joy and a future. Your word is defiance against those who defy you. But life to those who turn. And so, Lord, this morning we turn to your word. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would help us to understand what you have to say to us. Lord, that you would open our, our dull minds and our hard hearts and our stopped up ears. Lord, that you would open up our eyes that we might truly see what it is that you have to say for us. Lord, who is life and who brings life, speak to us, we pray. Amen. Well, you know it's a strange service when you start with a coffin coming up the front. and It's rather depressing, isn't it? It's rather sad. And yet it's why we're here. This morning we're looking, uh, as Reg read for us, in the second half of Romans chapter 5. Just this most amazing good news in the midst of the most heart-rending, sorrowful news. We start in chapter 5, verse 12. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Paul's giving us the reason in this passage for the hope that he has told us about last week, which Reg preached on. Here Paul says, let us give you the reason. Why have we got this hope? And he starts off, he says, we have hope. Because just as sin and death came into the world, how much more did Jesus and life Come and bring us life. But he starts in verse 12 by, by this look at sin coming into the world through one man and, and through that, that gateway of sin comes death and through that sin and death of one man comes death to all of us because all people sinned. And we say to ourselves, well, let, let's, let's just get our, our terminology right. What is sin? Well, let's go back to the story of, of Adam and Eve in the Garden of, of Eden. In my brilliant intelligence, I've brought a New Testament, so I can't turn to it. If you've got yours, turn to it, Genesis chapter 2. That's okay, I remember the story. You can look it up, make sure I don't get it wrong. Genesis chapter 2, you, you remember the story where Adam and Eve are in the garden. God has provided all for them, and He's given them one rule. He says, that tree... That tree over there, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, chapter 2, verse 16, I think, if you eat of that, on that very day you shall die. And we all know the story. Adam and Eve, Eve has a chat with the devil. The devil convinces her. She has a bite. She goes to Adam and deliberately, willfully, on purpose, 
This one man, Adam, says, I will decide what is best for me. I will decide what is best for me, and that fruit looks good to eat. And it's desirable for attaining knowledge. It's desirable for attaining wisdom. I will decide what is best for me. God said don't. I don't care. I am doing it. I mean, that, we've, we've heard this. We, we know this. In a nutshell, this is what sin is. Sin is saying, I will decide. Sin is saying, I will make my own decisions and God, get lost. But that very verse, chapter 2, verse 16, is it 2.16? 17. 2, verse 17. On the very day that you eat of that fruit, says God, you will surely die. And says Paul, death came through one man, through that person's sin. What is death? On that day you will surely die. You know, Adam didn't die that that same day, did he? God? Spiritual death. Um, for you to think about death in a physical sense was not absent from the Garden of Eden. Because if you picked a fruit to eat it, or if a seed dropped to the ground to grow, um, that part of the plant is dying and then being raised again. Uh, humans created in the image of God wouldn't have tasted death. They probably. Uh, this is just my thinking, would have been translated like Enoch or Elijah. But, but when God says, if you eat of that fruit, you will die. What he says is, you will die spiritually. Okay, that, that's all very well. You will die spiritually. So what does that mean? Yeah, well, you you certainly won't get translated straight into the presence of God, will you? Physical death is a reminder of our spiritual death. What happens next in the story in Genesis? Exactly. They, They eat the fruit. Immediately they realize they're naked, they run, they hide, they cover themselves up. And then they hear God walking through the garden. And they run away. And they hide. And God's calling them, Adam, Adam. And for a little while at least, I'm sure they kept quiet, but God's getting closer. And eventually Adam says, here I am, God. God says, well, what are you doing hiding over there? As if he didn't know. And, and Adam says, well, I did a bad, bad thing, God. I ate from the fruit. This is spiritual death. Spiritual death is running away from God, is hiding from God. And, and more than that, spiritual death is being cut off from the presence of God. 
not being able to, as Adam and Eve had prior to that, wander through the garden and talk with God and walk with God and know that He is ours. I mean, spiritual death is losing that communion with God. And Adam and Eve, when they took a bite of that fruit, they were spiritually deadened. And when God came, they wanted to get away from Him because they were afraid of Him. And Paul, looking back many thousands of years later, long, long time later, he says, just as sin came into the world through one man, and because of that death, spiritual and, and physical, that reminds us of spiritual death, so too everybody dies. Because everybody sins. This is Paul summing up for us the condition of humanity. He says, everyone is dead to God. Dead in relation to God. All sin, all are dead. And he goes on, he says, you know, from the time of Adam through to the time of Moses, what happened? People died. Physical death, a reminder of the spiritual death, of the deeper death. It raises the question for us, doesn't it? Adam did a bad, bad thing. We all agree on that. He, God said don't. Adam said I will. Adam got punished. Adam was told you will die. How does the logic work that because Adam did a bad thing and Adam was punished with death, how, why, why should I be punished? Why should I be spiritually dead? Why can't I walk with God in the garden? Why does it flow down to me? Why does what Adam did affect what I do, affect what they do, affect what that person does? Why does it affect us today? Well, Paul gives us a reason. He says, first off, um, well, first off, he says in verse 13 or 14 there, uh, we have got the law. We do know what God's will is. Verse 20 and 21 says to us, you know, and when we know what God's will is, what happens <laughs> We, we are all the more want to break it. So let's be honest. We, we don't have the excuse that we don't deliberately disobey God because I think we all do. We know what God expects of us and we do the opposite. But to be sure, sin was, was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. But death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command. So we, we can't say we've got an excuse because we know what God expects of us. But what about people who, who have never 
deliberately chosen to sin against God. What about a, a, a child? who dies before the age of reason. Before even being born. What about somebody who's got a mental deficiency so that all they do is sit in a chair and stare And we come to Romans chapter 5, verse 12, 13, and 14, and Paul says to us, what Adam did means that death reigns. And it does. Why should somebody innocent have to die? What happens to to children? What happens to those who are mentally uh, handicapped or deficient? They still die, but I think verse 20 and verse 21, it's just an aside, I think verse 20 and 21 give us some hope that, that God's grace is great. Um, I don't know where they stand. I know they've died because of sin. And I know God's graciousness. But how does it work that what Adam has done would affect somebody today? You know, if you, if you read through Genesis 2 to 5, you, you'll see uh, the word Adam and you'll see the word humanity. Now the interesting thing about the word Adam, that the name Adam, it it's actually means human. And the translators have great difficulty deciding as they translate, now which time are we speaking about Adam the individual, and which time are we speaking about Adam as, as humanity? And I think God was, I mean this is deliberate, God made Adam, God made humanity. Adam is the representative of humanity. Adam is the one that God looks at and in him sees all of that which, which was to follow. Adam is the head of our race. Adam was... It, I've just been reading um, the biography of the guy that you quoted last week, Bonhoeffer. Um, great story, really highly recommended, but after the Second World War and after the First World War, the German nation had to pay reparations. 
Why? Because the guy at the top had sent them to war. Even if they had said, we don't want to go to war, the one who decided, decided for them all. And it's the same with Adam. Even if we say, well, I don't want to sin, Adam's already said, well, we are sinning as a race. This is who we are. We have decided we rebel against God. And we today look back and say, well, I'll deal with God on my own. Thanks, so. Be an individual. And yes, God does deal with us as individuals, but Martin Lloyd-Jones has got it exactly right. He says, God has always dealt with humanity through a representative. And there are only two representatives possible, and the first of those is Adam. Human. Sinner. And his one decision so long ago has set the stage and continued and all every sin that we do now is just another expression of that first sin of telling God I will decide for myself. That's horribly impressive, isn't it? Horribly impressive that one man could introduce sin and death for eons up till now and, and up till the time that Jesus returns. One man has had that great an influence on you and I and every other person that has lived. One man. But, I said to you a few weeks back, uh, the biggest words in the Bible, one of them, is the word but. And the but here is brilliant. But, verse 15, the gift is not like the trespass. And what, what Paul does in verse 15, 16, 17, 18, uh, 19, 20 as well, he, he comes along and says, you know what, what Adam did by, by damning humanity is impressive, but wow, just as he did that, how much more has God done for us now? Everyone knows what Adam did. Paul takes it that we know that Adam is the reason why there is sin and death in the world. And he comes to verse 14, and he says, This Adam who brought so much heartache and death and sorrow into our world, this self-same Adam, verse 14, is a type of the one who was to come. He's like the one who was to come. He is like Jesus. <laughs> that doesn't quite work, does it? Death, misery, suffering, alienation from God. He's like Jesus, isn't he? Paul immediately, verse 15, he backtracks a little bit. He says, Yes, yes, uh, Jesus is like Adam, but, but, but not quite. 
Because whereas Adam trespassed, whereas Adam says, I will make my own decision, what did Jesus do? Jesus said, I will obey my Father's will. Adam said, I will please myself. Jesus said, I will give myself. In grace, as a gift, at a cost. Adam disobeyed and the many, everybody, died, was cut off from God, spiritually dead. Just as Adam caused the many to die, says Paul, how much more has Jesus caused the many to receive the grace of God and the gift of God? so that this grace of God and this gift of God overflows. Adam caused many to die. Jesus brings many to seek the grace of God, to know the gift, which we're told in verse 17 is righteousness, a right standing with God. Adam says, I will stand against God. Jesus comes and says, no, you can now be right with God. A righteousness, a gift of righteousness. How much more? You notice what Paul says? Adam sinned, and for this one sin, he was judged, and there was condemnation across the whole of the human race. And then he turns around and he says, now what about Christ? Just as Adam sinned, well, Christ obeyed, and after one sin, two sins, three sins, Many sins. There was justification. That's bad logic, isn't it? One sin, condemnation. Lots of sins. God says, by my grace, justification. Got a quote here from Cranfield. He says that one single misdeed should be answered by judgment. This is perfectly understandable. That the accumulated sins and guilt of all the ages should be answered by God's free gift. This is the miracle of miracles beyond all comprehension. Adam did a bad, bad thing and affected humanity. His sin infected all of us and we are all because of him and because of our own sins at the same time dead to God. But Christ has done a much more impressive thing.
know what a cross looks like. You know, when you come to an argument that says just as something else, so also this other thing. The just as, that, that's important, but, but the bit you really want to remember is the so also. That's the point that Paul's trying to make. He says, just as Adam brought sin and death into the world and it's infected everyone and it's horrible and we're spiritually dead, just as that, what do I want you to remember? Not that, you know that. What I want you to remember is that the one man, Jesus Christ, came and brought righteousness and grace which reigns, verse 21. Verse 18 and 19. Just as the one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all. For as through the disobedience of the one man the many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man the many will be made righteous. We've been saying that God always looks at humanity through a representative. And the one option is Adam, and the other option is Christ. In Adam, all die because all sinned. But in Christ, all live. Let me back away from that a bit. In Christ, all live. Not all live, but in Christ. Those who are in Christ. Those, verse 17, who receive the gift of grace and the gift of righteousness, they live. And either either we die or we live. There was a a 17th century theologian who hit it spot on. He said, in God's sight there are two men. There's Adam and there's Christ. And these two men had every single person hanging on their girdle strings on their belts. Either we are in there with Adam or we're on there and off there and up there with Christ. But, but you know, it gets even better than that. Paul has said to us, death reigns because sin came into the world. What is the opposite of death reigning? What's the opposite? Death dying? Yeah, yeah. in, in terms of reigning, if, if the opposite of death reigning, what is the other reign? Life? Overthrown? 
Life does reign. Actually, Paul doesn't say life reigns. Paul says grace reigns. But you know what he says? He says those who receive the gift of grace and the gift of God's righteousness, they reign in life. This is just a huge thing. Either death reigns over us and we are just slaves and serfs and in the, in the thrall of death, or else we reign in life. Death reigns or we reign. I'm, I, I'm pretty sure that everybody in this room is a Christian. And we know that before we came to know Jesus Christ, we lived under the shadow of death. Death reigned over us. Death reigns because of sin, and sin is is a life of fearfulness and hopelessness. It's a life of when we hear God's voice, we run and we hide. Do you wonder why people are so antagonistic to hear you speak about your faith? Or why it just doesn't seem to sink in? It's because they are serfs under the rule of death. And when they hear the voice of God, they want to run away and hide and shut it out. Seriously, buy this book. It's $15. Read it. I hate biographies as a rule. Couldn't put this one down. Just a quote, this Bonhoeffer. He says, Death reveals that the world is not as it should be, but that it stands in need of redemption. This from a man living in the build-up towards the Second World War, eventually being executed for what he believed was staying true to Jesus. He says, Death reveals that the world is not as it should be, but that it stands in need of redemption. Christ alone is the conquering of death. You know, I I could get people feeling really guilty, people outside the church. Us Christians are good enough at feeling guilty all by ourselves. (laughs) By giving them some laws 
They're saying this is right, this is wrong, this is right, this is wrong. But what does verse 20 say? It says to us that, that where the law is, it, it just it, it highlights sin. It makes us sin so much more. And the sad thing about trying to follow the law, about saying, I, I know what God expects. I, I've got to do this. I've got to try harder. I've got to work better. Knowledge of the law just makes us realize all the more that we are living in a sinful, broken world. And that we cannot, in our own strength, be like God. We need the cross. Because as sin increases, so grace increases all the more. Until grace deals with the worst of sins on the tree. So what am I saying? Am I saying that am I am I saying that we should just sit back and say, Thank you, God, that your grace is sufficient for me, that I can be in a right relationship with you. Absolutely. If you go home and you say, well, you know, in Adam I was dead, but in Christ I have life, brilliant. Take it home, tell your friends, get excited about that. That is good news from Romans chapter 5, verses 12 to 21. (coughs) But what I want us to think about as we leave today is the fact that we as Christians are no longer under the thrall of the reign of death, but under the promise that we shall reign in life with Jesus. You're going to reign in life with Jesus. that not excite anyone? You are going to reign. You're going to be a king. You're going to be a queen in life in Jesus. And where Paul goes next week in chapter 6 and think about it during the week to come. If I know that I am going to reign as a king or a queen in Jesus, what does that mean today? Surely it's it's it. 
time to start living what we have promised we will be. Surely it's time to say to ourselves, you know what, I am not in the box with Adam. I don't have to live under that that penalty, that, that sinfulness of Adam because I am in Christ and I will reign with Him. You are going to be a king and a queen or a queen or a queen with Jesus in life. Show them what that looks like. Amen. Father, thank you so much that you are our God. Lord, that you are greater than he who is in the world. Lord, though we were once under the realm of death, Lord, you have come and done a much greater thing than Adam did. Lord, you are the one through whom we are saved. Lord, you have called us into a new humanity. Our birthright from Adam is one of death. But our new birthright in you is life. May we reign with you as you have promised we shall. And may we show something of your reign to those we meet this week. Amen.